Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Bar, the podcast from Next Chapter Ventures. We have a simple mission here to get female founders funded faster. You can learn more at nextchapterraise.com. Get the tailored resources and coaching you need to find, negotiate with, and close the right investors for your business. I'm Nicole Denholder, the founder of Next Chapter Raise, and I'm so excited today to be talking to Shay Stanley from Little Steps and hearing about Little Steps and learning more about her business journey and also how she's gone and expanded internationally. You know, so many great stories that she has to share on this. So welcome, Shay, to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. This is this is quite fun. It's going to be fun chatting with you. I know, I know. And, you know, I love chatting with you. We meet at WEN events. You know, there's so many things I could talk to you about because your business is amazing. Your experiences are amazing. So why don't we kick off with, if you could explain a bit about Little Steps and, and your, you know, your journey with Little Steps and how that started and where you are. Sure. Yeah. So I've been out in Hong Kong now for 17 years, I have to count. Um, but it's been it's been quite a journey. In the early days, I actually tried my uh, foot in a lot of different entrepreneurial businesses. And the one that stuck was Little Steps. And uh, Little Steps has been around for about 14 years. It, it started really out of inspiration because I was pregnant with my first child, really looking for content on parenting, specifically to Hong Kong, specifically to Asia. And I couldn't, I couldn't find it digitally. So that's really where Little Steps is born. And over the years, it has grown. We've rolled out Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Macau. So we're in six different cities now. So we operate on a local level in those cities and also regional. But our audience is always parents, has always been parents. And just taking that journey of the parenting, it's, it's the parenting journey from pregnancy on up to teenagers, which is where my kids are now. They're teenagers. So that's really showing you where Little Steps has grown. <laughs> So it's really grown with you and your family, right? It really has. It's just when you think you know everything, they grow again and you learn something new. Yeah, you're like, hold up, I need to know about this. So, right, I'm going to learn about it and make sure others learn about it. So <laughs> um, I love that sharing element because you're right, for many of us as we have our families grow and, and there's so many different elements that comes to parenthood and families and what we want to do, right? So I love Little Steps, avid reader. So now you mentioned you're in multiple locations, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia. I mean, for many of us thinking about international expansion of our business can be quite daunting. You know, you're like, well, where do I start? What do I need to do? What are the regulations? How much will it cost? What team? You know, you can already see my head exploding on the question someone could ask. So what prompted you to go into different markets and, you know, why those markets, I suppose, as well? Sure. So actually the plan was never to just be, you know, a simple mom blog in, in Hong Kong. It was always to expand. In fact, we launched Singapore about six months into Little Steps birth in Hong Kong. So it was quite it was quite quick expansion. But one thing that we realized, and I think that's a question that we can all ask ourselves, is who is who is our audience and how easy is it to replicate what you're doing in one market to the other? And what we found with the parent demographic is that parents while culturally might be different in each each market, and while the experiences might be different in each market, at the core, parents, moms, dads, they're all looking for very similar things, whether it be you know planning a birthday party to finding a school to where to travel and things to the core of I want my kids safe, I want to make sure they're eating healthy foods, you know th those kind of core things that 
most parents are on the same page with. So in that sense, the audience, while in different markets, is quite the same. So that was one thing that, that we looked at. But, but yeah, in terms of rolling it out, we did have to do a lot of research market by market. Singapore was the, yeah, it was the easiest one, I should say, to roll out first. Nearby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, I guess. <laughs> well, I love how you say you started with that target audience, right? You know, what's driving them? Because that should be front and center of every action we take as a business. Right. And, and also just seeing where the opportunity is, you know, in some of the markets, you might find a lot more congestion, you know, a lot more competition, while other markets like KL, for example, was wide open for us at the time. So, you know, market by market, you can do research and find out where the opportunity is with those specific audiences as well. Yeah. You know, how did you go about either not just doing the research, but in terms of either building the team to support that or understanding the costs that would be involved? Um, because obviously you have to do some form of investment before you're getting that returned locally. I mean, how did you approach that in terms of any of the specific markets? Sure. So little steps, you know, we were we were bootstrap companies. We did not have much money when we were going out. In fact, I remember some of the hotels that we stayed in early days. Whew. But I think money aside, I think there are a lot of different ways to expand. And I think, I think it can be very overwhelming when you're looking at these individual markets. But I think there are a lot of different ways that you can enter the markets. Tiptoe in, jump in, you know, depending on what your strategy is. The way we did it was, of course, finding, finding what that audience is. We did go over there. We did do the research. We looked at the data. And our first step was always to build content because with content came the SEO that we needed to build the numbers before we invested a lot in that market. So we needed to build page views for little steps before we hired anybody, say, extensively in Singapore for sales. So that's how we did it. We, we always build content first, we build the SEO, and then we bring in kind of a big launch marketing initiative for the PR side of things. And then we start building the team up, but we built the team up very slowly as well, using a combination of you know outsourcing, what do we need locally? What do we need as, as local expertise and what can we outsource using our Hong Kong team, for example, mixed with Upwork and Fiverr and those kind of things? Because there are cost efficient ways to, to build in, a team in the local markets. Yeah. Yeah. So you found that there was a bit of a, because now you've gone into so many, a little bit of a process that you were able to kind of live and learn from each one and say, okay, now I know how to kind of approach the second one, for example. That's right. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And then I know we talked about you had some partnerships also that, you know, indicated market entry. Obviously, that helped you choose where to go. It did. In fact, that also helped us launch into Singapore. So we were very strategic. It worked really well for us. So in, so in Singapore, again, we were six months after launch. So Little Steps was a no-name as far as everyone's concerned, even in Hong Kong, we were just getting started. So what we did is we partnered up with a bigger name, which was Lux City Guides at the time. They had a lot of uh, similarities, but what they didn't have was the family demographics. So what they wanted was what we had, and what we wanted was to ride on their brand. And so it was a really nice partnership. And what we did is we, we actually launched a Singapore guide for Lux City Guides for the family demographic, which sold really well. And we were able to get in the doors of a lot of people that we couldn't get in just by writing on their name into Singapore. And then we did a joint launch party in Singapore. And that really got our name out quickly, a lot quicker than if we tried to just do it by ourselves. And then from that partnership, we went into Bali, similar concept. Bali's a lot smaller, but it was, you know, the, the formula worked in Singapore. So we applied that to Bali with Lux City Guides. And then from there, 
we launched Jakarta on our own. So at that time we had enough steam. So yeah, a key partner to ride into a market really is a great, great way to start off with a boom. No, I love how you've, I think that's really important because we all think we've got to do everything alone, right? Yes. And that's not necessarily the case. And actually the more we can work, because in that instance, right, you know, there's benefits to both of you, you know, they're opening up their own demographic. You, as you said, you're jumping onto their kind of their brand. And obviously they've always been a great brand in Asia from launch. So that's brilliant to share. And, you know, in terms of setting up companies, I mean, did you find that you were able to run some of these remotely? Were you having to set up local companies? I mean, how did you approach just the structural aspect of international expansion? Yeah, so we have done a lot of A-B testing in that area. (laughs) It is obviously really important to understand each of the markets, to understand what is required. Is there NPF, what is the part-time salaries, you know, these kind of things when you're hiring. But from setting up the businesses, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can do it. Now, we have done, for example, in Singapore, we wrote on just labeling freelancers as freelancers for a long time. When Singapore started changing during COVID, we did open up our an official Little Steps business, which is required to set up a bank account in Singapore. So depending on your needs, like if you're an e-commerce business, for example, in Singapore, you might need that local bank account, little steps, we could still run things through the Hong Kong bank, which we did even with the Singapore company set up. So what we found is that as Singapore kept changing, that company we needed to help sponsor visas for, or, you know, we needed that to, to move the growth of our company. But it but it was eight years of not having an official Singapore company. We, we did everything through the Hong Kong company for the first eight years of the Singapore life cycle, but that is going to be obviously depending on what you're selling and what you're doing in the market. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like looking at all the different options available to you and what you change as you grow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's always, I, I do agree with that. I think the fact is that regulations change, you know, in terms of employee laws change. So even if you feel you've set it up, 18 months later, that scenario could have changed. So staying on top of that, so it takes a bit of work as well. So That's right. And Singapore is a great example of it because it is the trickiest one I find in in Asia right now. Yeah. Well, I think that's, um, I mean, what did you think was either one of the biggest challenges and biggest successes when you're expanding into these different markets? I mean, what do you look back on and think about? Uh, successes, I would definitely say the partnerships that we put in place, whether it be Lux City Guides or the big launch parties that we would do and partner with all the, the local uh, brands in the family space in each of the markets. So it was the network and the partners that we brought in to to help us move quite quickly in those markets. In terms of the challenges, there, there were obviously lots of challenges when launching. I think one of the big ones was just the lack of money. You know, you really had to you know, we were queens of barters, you know, we would say, hey, we'd give you advertising if you could let us have this venue for our party. So we did a lot of that because we just simply didn't have the funds. So I think that we we got very creative. So success and challenge, it really taught us that, you know, a lot of people have different needs and a lot of people have different things that they can offer and different things they want from you. So the bartering really helped us when funds were quite limited. I like how you brought that up around that creativity and that bartering, because I think we sometimes forget we can ask for things. We can 
be, we can explore in our conversations, you know, different options. It doesn't always have to be on the, you know, on that cost basis, right? Like there is definitely different options there. You know, some might be more strategic, some might be one-off and that's okay, but to really think about it. So I think that would really help people to understand, you know, because you don't hear the word bartering enough, actually. I know. I don't know if I've got, it's probably a fancier term for it these days, but it is, you you have needs, I have needs. Let's see if we work something out work yeah. together right yeah you know and it's all about holding you know we're all lifting the same ship right so which is great and i mean you've mentioned team a couple of times so i'd love to just understand you know as you've gone into different locations i mean what tools have helped you manage the team in different locations you know do you set kpis how do you manage performance with them Sure. So, so basically I, I set the team up in local versus the international team. And when I say the international team, it's really a global team. Our writers are all over the world. Our videographers in Ukraine slash Bali, you know, it's a lot of digital nomads on the team. So on the, on the local side and mixing it with the international side, time zones, you know, uh, if you put those on the side, because that's always a nightmare, we use Slack to really bring the team together, which many of you know is is the WhatsApp for businesses. But what's great about Slack is that there's a lot of automations that you can put into the Slack. So there's a lot of connectivity. For example, you can link up Google Analytics to Slack. You can link up HubSpot, which is another big tool that we that we work with. You know, you can use Zapier and connect in to, you know, communicate with the team versus, you know, you know, with with other topics as well. We use Slack, for example, to any type of deal that comes through is automated through the Slack app. Everybody on the team knows that a new deal came through. We can all celebrate, which builds a lot of culture, but it also pushes it to the next person in the workflow. So it pushes it to a writer, pushes it to the marketing team to add an ad on the website. So you can automate a lot of this kind of global communication instead of having to log into a lot of things. You can do a lot through Slack. Okay, that's great to know. I mean, so what you're doing is you're setting up that once someone's finished, it just moves on to the next person and there's this process that's happening, which as you mentioned, avoids the time zone issue, right? That it just kicks in effectively. And, and it avoids the uh, oversupply of email, which we all know is a big problem. <laughs> if anybody knows me, they know that I'm like terrible on the email, but yeah, Slack, WhatsApp, get me, you can get me fast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and, and they're efficient tools as well, right? Which is yeah. what you want in a business when you've got multiple people, multiple locations, multiple work streams, you have to be tight. Um, yes. And simply you work on a lot of deadline driven work, right? So you really do have to make sure people stay on top of what they're doing. That's right. Exactly. Um, And how do you, particularly for a core team, because I know you have like probably people that are project-based or different roles that might come and go. And in terms of the core team, have you focused on trying to build a culture or connectivity, even if they're in different locations? I mean, how have you approached that? Uh, One one thing that I'm, I'm very fortunate for is that most of the people on the team are parents. So there is that kind of core uh, passion to build little steps just from a personal point of view. The way we connect with everybody is I do have the team meetings, which is a complete hybrid team meeting because my philosophy is always work where you're inspired and most convenient, especially if you're running around mom or dad. But yes, we do have our weekly team meetings, which are Wednesday. You can log in through the Slack or you can come into the office. I'm there for those that want to meet with me. And then outside of that, everything runs through, again, it's that Slack app. So with the automation, but also if somebody in Singapore needs to talk to somebody in Hong Kong, it's very quickly. And I've got it organized by city, but also by department as well. So if you need to to touch base with the marketing team, you can. 
video team you can. So it's just a, it's a click away rather than lots and lots of emails. Yep. Yep. I think we're now talking to one of one of my favorite things, which is standard operating procedures, SOPs, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're so important to a business, even if you're starting out documenting procedures, mm. I think it is what helps that automation, particularly things that you're doing regularly. Um, right. you know, it's it's better at onboarding people quickly, particularly if there's changes in team or new locations, because you can just pick up and go, this is how we function. Here's how we do things. I mean, it, that sounds like that's been quite critical to you as well. Right, exactly. And I think too, a lot of what we do is something that we're trying to teach. Like when you're, when yeah. you're looking at editorial guidelines, you know, it is on repeat. I would say that the biggest tools that we use there is Loom for videos. So yeah. I, I record lots of Loom videos and then I take those Loom videos and again, in Slack up at the top, you can actually add bookmarks. So for example, if it's the marketing team, I've got the Loom onboarding videos just right at the top that they can access anytime. And then if somebody forgets, oh wait, I'm supposed to be doing this this week. I don't know how those videos are just a touch away, depending on which which channel you're on in Slack. So again, it's a, it's a mix of content with communication. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love that. I love that. So, given one of in one of my former lives, I was a project manager. I'm very driven on how it's a we, really good skill set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like people are very clear on roles and responsibilities and processes and that because actually, then you just can make things move fast. But also, that communication is very clear. And the clearer communication, people, you know, feel better in their jobs. You know, they know what's expected of them. They know when things are due. You know, you, you, I think that that really starts contributing to a great team culture, which it sounds like you're building there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's taken a, it's taken a while, but I do think technology is the core. I haven't talked a lot about HubSpot, but that's on the sales side. Yeah. What's incredibly, tra- you know, tracks everything back to the markets. So I know exactly how much, you know, how many sales have been coming through Singapore, Malaysia, comparing that year by year that can get quite lost in your accounting reports. So, you know, a a tool like HubSpot where you can take live inventory on a week by week, month by month, you know, basis, it it also points me in the right direction in terms of where we need to be investing more or less. Yeah. Actually, that's um, something we talk a lot about in our challenges or our boot camps is what are you doing with the data that you've got to make business decisions? Because I do think that everyone talks about data in a way that's exciting, lots of data, but most people actually don't know how to find it or analyze right. it to help them turn, you know, either really great data and amplify that and go, you know what, this is working. How do we do more of that? I think we often look at data as a negative, but actually how do we find the positives, amplify or find the challenges that we know that's a problem, right? In terms of either the sales, the marketing, or the way that people are delivering is a problem. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I think all of these tools that we're using gather data, whether it's, you know, MailChimp for email, HubSpot for sales, you know, even things like Xero, if you're doing your invoicing and your accounting through Xero, what I think is the most important is building those dashboards so that it's, I don't want to say it's dumbed down for us, but it's also simplified for the, the team to understand that data and they can do it. It's not hard to do. It just takes somebody to sit down or outsource it to build those dashboards. Because once the dashboards are, are set up, then the data is so easy to understand and, and use. Mm, yeah, because it makes it easy also to find the red flags. Be, yeah. you know, if, if anyone looks at a, a version of Google Analytics, you know there is a lot of data in there, but not all of it's relevant and you can spend a lot of time. So I love actually that you're building dashboards, just pulling out what do we need to know? You know, what's mission critical in the business? I mean, you can always dig further, but yes. um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And sharing that with the team. Okay. That all sounds fantastic. I mean, I think you probably inspired a lot of people to think about, okay, how do I take my business further? Where do I take it to? And it sounds like tech would help as well. So I love all those really practical tips. Thank you very much. But before we finish, I would, you know, is there any other tip or insight that you would say to a founder who is listening to this thinking, you know, I really do want to expand the business. You know, I just, either I'm overwhelmed, I'm daunted, I'm just not sure. What would you say? So I would say, look at what you have to spend because that's a scary thing for us, right? So if we don't have money and we're trying to expand, that's a scary thing. If we do have money, be strategic with that money. But I think, yeah, look at the finances first and see how that how that's looking. And, and also take inventory on what you have in terms of time, in terms of the team's time, those kind of things. And then let that determine how much and how fast you can move into the market. So that will point you in the direction of, do I need a partner to make this thing happen? Should I do half on Upwork and half of it local? Should I not even have a local team at all and, and move by me visiting this country every three weeks? You know, sometimes that's a cheaper and more efficient way to do it. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I think we can get overwhelmed with the concept of moving to a new city, but there's so many different ways to make it happen. Yeah. And I suppose also what's your short-term versus medium KPIs, right? Like what do you just need to get in place to get going versus we can often get lost with, well, you know, I want this when I get there, but there's a few steps that have to happen. A few KPIs have to be met before you go down that path, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, for sharing your insights. I feel like there's so many things that I would love to talk to you about um, because I enjoy talking to you, love little steps and really inspired and impressed with the growth you've had with business. So thank you for sharing all your information with us today. Absolutely. I love to share. It's how we got moving too. So thanks for having me. We see you soon. To connect with Next Chapter, follow us on social, visit the platform at nextchapterraise.com and subscribe to the podcast for more great stories to inspire, empower, and celebrate female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm.